Well, our small group got started this week, and uh, we're going to be meeting at 6.30. The bulletin says 7, but if you're interested in the Hasper small group here in Pasadena, we'll be meeting Thursday nights at 6.30. And uh, we got off to a great start, had fun, and uh, we're, having, we're hoping to double this week. We're going to have several more there, and uh, it was good, good to begin. And I hope you're enjoying this question we're asking ourselves, how would we live if we only had 30 days left or one month to live? I'm thinking about a service that I did in the chapel exactly two years ago. It was a funeral service, and the young man was in his mid-30s. His mother and father and his sister had been by his bedside uh, watching him die for days and days, actually, that stretched into weeks. I had visited him regularly myself. Finally, he slipped away. A vicious thief took his life. The thief's name is Vodka, 30-some years old. I recall another service I did a number of years ago in the San Fernando Valley. We were seated at a great cemetery there, looking over the valley, the oak trees around us, the mountains as a backdrop. And I did a service for another young man, and there were some guys on their Harleys that rode up, and they were a part of the service, and... Um, We said farewell to this young man who died way before he should have. Sexual promiscuity was the thief that took his life. This past June, Joyce and I buried our brother-in-law at Cable Ridge Cemetery on the hills in Ozarks, in the Ozarks in Missouri. A thief named Cigarettes choked the life out of him, and he died a long and slow and painful death. Cigarettes. You're aware there are thieves out there, right? There are ways in which you can live, and they will, as you live those ways, take your life. I was surprised to read, I guess not so surprised. It caught my attention, a better way to put it, in the L.A. Times this past week about the billionaire in Germany who jumped in front of a train. Did you read that story? I'm not sure what thief you would call that, but a man with all this money, of course he had lost a lot of it in the downturn of the economy, but... He left behind his family as he jumped in front of the train committing suicide. I'm not sure what to call the name of that thief. One time Jesus was teaching and he was talking about people as sheep and himself as a shepherd. And he said of himself, he said, I am the good shepherd. And as he went into that discussion about sheep and shepherds, and they were very familiar in that day, of course, with sheep and shepherds, Jesus said these words. He was talking about the fact that there were all kinds of shepherds out there, and he said this, The thief's purpose, speaking of bad shepherds, the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And we lifted up John 10.10 last week, where in the Message Bible it says, A real and better life. Or as the King James says, Jesus came to give us an abundant life, a more abundant life. A thief killed Scott, a thief killed Ted, a thief killed the billionaire. This thief out there kills lots of people before their time. And this morning we have a chance to think about our lives and the choices we make and the ways in which we go. Switching metaphors here, Jesus talks about the gate. And he says, as we live our lives, it's like we enter through gates. We make decisions, and they're like gates or doors, and we go through them. And Jesus said these words. He said, 
encouraging you and me, encouraging anyone who would listen to him, he said, enter the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. It's easy to get on the way to destruction. He said, wide is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through. But small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting. And only a few find it. It's interesting, Jesus' gate or way seems very narrow and tight. And you say, man, I can hardly squeeze in there. It's uncomfortable, actually. But as you go in that way, it seems to open and open and open, and it becomes abundance. It becomes a great life. The other way, as you enter into it, it's easy to just kind of slip slide in there. But as you enter it, it gets tighter and tighter and tighter and you're destroyed. And we could go on all day giving examples. Today's the week two of One Month to Live, OMLT, or TL rather. And we're asking the clarifying question, what would I do if I only had one month to live? Now, I hope you've got a lot more than a month. I hope that you live out 2009 and 2010, and God only knows how far. But this question helps us to clarify in our lives, how should we be living? The choices are perfect and uh, the choices are important. And no matter how many years we have or days, we've got a limited number. And we need to live them wisely and well. So we're going to look at some of the principles. We, we have four principles we'll be looking at. And I mentioned them to you last week. Principles coming right out of Jesus' life. And the first one today is to live passionately. How much passion is there in your life? I want to talk to you a bit about that today. Uh, I want to talk to you about, first of all, finding your passion. What is your passion? In Luke chapter 2, I referenced this story last week as we were talking about Jesus' passion. When Jesus was a boy, in fact, the only story we have of Jesus out of his childhood is when he went to the temple. And you recall the story of how his parents... Uh, left the temple, didn't know where he was, went back to the temple and found him. And when they found Jesus, there he was in the God's house, the house of worship. And what did he say? It's on the scripture here. You can see it. He says, you were searching for me. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? This is where I belong. God's house. And there he was learning, praying, worshiping God. Now, to jump over to the gospel of John, I want to link up a verse uh, from John chapter 2. Now, in all four of the Gospels, the cleansing of the temple is mentioned. That is where Jesus goes into the temple. And I was trying to think about this today, and if I was a more creative person, I think we could have fun. But Jesus said, when he went into the temple, he said, you know, you've turned it into a marketplace. God's house, the temple, has become a marketplace. And actually, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this story always occurs at the end of the Gospels right before the crucifixion. In John, it starts the whole thing, and one wonders why, and I can't give you a good answer, but it's curious to me, maybe John is trying to demonstrate Jesus' passion early on. Because throughout the Gospel of John, what does Jesus say very often? He says, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. He says, I always obey my Father. And there's this very strong emphasis on Jesus obeying the Father. Well, in this story... As you know, he goes into the temple, and I was wondering, do they, do they sell bobblehead dolls of Moses? 
or of David or, you know, where there, could you buy these ceramic little porcelain things of the Ten Commandments or, you know, I'm not sure what, what would have been there, but they were selling stuff and rather than praying and worshiping God. And so it's the scene, and this is from El Greco here, where Jesus turns over the tables. He becomes what we would call violent. He gets a whip, you know, and he drives them out. And notice what he says, what John says about this scene. Jesus says, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a house of prayer? Now, at 12 years old, we found Jesus in his dad's house. Here he's upset about what's happening in the father's house. And the disciples remember uh, Psalm 69, actually, which says, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, isn't zeal the same as passion? Aren't they synonyms? I think so. And Jesus was passionate about God's house and what happened there. And this was his passion to please the Father. So this morning, what's your passion? If you could make a list and say, and you might have many passions. Do you have any passions or many passions? What is your passion? Now, I've put in in your outline um, the word enthusiasm. You see that? (coughs) Oh, excuse me. That was loud. I'm sorry. Um, Enthusiasm. You're awake now, aren't you, Rose? Whoa. Um, The word enthusiasm is made up of two Greek words, entheos. What do those words mean? You already know. You're Greek scholars. Fuller's got nothing on you. They mean in God. To be enthusiastic means to be in God. An enthusiastic person is an in God person, a person that has some passion. Now, the question is, do you love God? In, in the Gospel of Mark, the message translation, remember our theme last year was to love God and to love our neighbor? Well, here's how it's put in Mark. So love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. What is your passion? Because if you're going to live passionately, you should be able to say, Steve, this is my passion. These are my passions. And if you don't have a passion, I'm going to encourage you to come forward today and pray God give you some passion, some entheos, some enthusiasm to live out your life in God. Now, here's a cartoon, and uh, it kind of gets at the idea. I hope you can see it well up there. But I've uh, got some Peanuts cartoons today, and it says, uh, you are, uh, this is not from Peanuts, this is from uh, Travels with Fairley. You are an individual with great resources, that, that is called ability. Second scene, but you are unhappy leading a life you feel lacks direction. That's called frustration. So you want to be a success, to have uh, fame and comfort. That's called desire. But you want these things without having to work for them. What's that called? Normal. We all want that. We want passion without having to work for it. We want all this stuff without, you know, you get the story. Um, here's a picture of Howard Thurman. That name may not mean anything to you at all. Howard Thurman was a Baptist minister. He went on to become a theologian, a writer, a philosopher. He's well-known for lots of things, civil rights activist. Here's what Howard Thurman says, and you have this in your outline. This is a fantastic quote that will help you as you think about passion. Howard Thurman says, Don't ask, the wor- don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. And go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. In other words, enthusiastic people. People in theos. 
Now, one of the best books I know of to help you figure out your calling, and if you're looking for a job, go buy What Color Is Your Parachute? Richard Bowles' classic book. It's been around since Jesus, practically. And they print a new copy every year. I don't know how rich he's gotten. But in that book, he talks about how to find your mission in life. And he says these three things, and I borrow them from Richard Bowles. He said, first of all, we all have the same mission. And that mission is to passionately love God. Do you understand that? That's our mission. God created us to love God. What do we call that? What are we doing today? Worship. You know what it is. And so this morning, as you and I gather, we should passionately worship God. Maybe we should worship God so passionately the plaster would crack. And we should come here on Sunday mornings at 1030 with a sense of passion to worship God. Now, we don't just worship God on Sunday morning. But Monday, Tuesday, you should be worshiping God throughout the week. That's your first mission in life, to worship God. Your second mission is to be passionate about serving others, to passionately do what you can do to make the world a better place. We call that service. We talk about it all the time, don't we? You get sick of hearing about it, but we're never going to stop talking about it. We're to serve others. Now, the third one is where it gets tricky. And this is, this is where your passion and your calling and your mission are going to be different than mine, or different than Ted's, or different than Rose's, or somebody else's. And that's this, to passionately use your gifts where God most needs you to use them on the globe. That's called your mission, your calling, your passion. How can you use your gifts? And that's the one that's probably going to cause you to struggle as you seek to figure it out. God, what what do you want me to do? But there are ways we're going to help you. I met a young man recently who was sharing with me about how God uh, called him and uh, really gave him a sense of direction. And Liam, I'm going to ask you to come on up and uh, share now with us, if you would, uh, your story about, uh, I think, a new passion. Hi. (laughs) My name is Liam. I've just been going to your church for a little over a month now. Um... I want to thank you all for being so welcoming and gracious and kind to me, and thank you, Steve, for inviting me to come up here and share with you all. Um, well, I guess uh, uh, living passionately has always meant a lot to me. Um, the way I was raised, the way I've always thought growing up is that to have a really happy, satisfying, successful life is to really find what makes you live passionately, what you know, what you love doing in life. So whatever job, whatever career, whatever path I chose, I need to be passionate about it if I wanted to be truly happy. So when I was young, when I was in high school, I thought I was going to become a professional baseball player. I loved baseball, and that's what I thought my passion was. Until I joined that baseball team in college, and I realized this isn't my passion. <laughs> so in college, I kind of looked around and I thought, well, what can I do? What's going to be my passion? I thought, well, maybe I'll be a prosecutor. Maybe I'll put away bad guys. Maybe I'll be a defense attorney. Maybe I'll defend the innocent. And um, after a series of legal internships, I realized this isn't my passion either. And then I thought, well, what's God, what's my passion? What do you want me to do with my life? And about that time in college, I was getting really involved in acting. And I loved it. I loved acting. I loved the plays that I was in, and I loved the theater. I loved the people that I was involved with there. And I, I got nominated for a national acting award, and I thought, well, maybe this is what God's calling me to do. And so I thought this was my passion, and that's why I moved out here to Los Angeles, and that's what I've been spending my time doing the last few years, is pursuing acting. But after getting small jobs here and there and going to different auditions and 
you know, uh, getting involved in the industry in different ways, I realized this isn't really my passion either. And so I kind of looked around and thought, well, God, what now? I'm not finding any fulfillment. I'm not having a rich and satisfying life doing this right now. What's my passion? And I realized that I really like learning about God. It's something that I kept reading about. I kept picking up as many books as I could, learning about God, reading as much as I could about Him. I was visiting a different church every Sunday, partly to find a a home church, but also partly to just see how people experience God in different ways and to learn anything I could about Him. And I thought, well, maybe my passion is teaching. Maybe I should teach people about God. So I decided maybe I should go back to school. And so I started looking at schools around here on the West Coast, and one thing led to another, and I found myself over here at Fuller Seminary. And I thought, well... I guess maybe this is it. Maybe I should be teaching people about God. Well, about uh, around Thanksgiving time last November, I was in another random church service out here in Pasadena, and I was visiting basically a different church every Sunday and uh, trying to find some place to go. And I was in a church, and quite frankly, I was kind of bored after the sermon. And uh, I looked at the, the bulletin, and I saw that we had communion, we had offering, and we had the last song. And I thought, boy, I'm hungry, I'm bored, I want, I want to watch some sports on TV, I can't wait to get out of here. And so I look at the bulletin, I go, i got three more things to do. So we do the communion, we do the offering, and that lost song starts up, and that pastor gets up front and he says, during that last song, he says, if you want to come forward and have me pray over you right now, this is the time to do it. If you want to join the church, if you want to be a member of this church, this is the time to do it. I thought, okay, yeah, 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 let's do this song starts in, and the pew that I'm sitting in, there's nobody in the pew that I'm sitting in, the pew in front of me is all empty. And then the pew ahead of that is there's five young people that are about my age there. And I see them all conversing with each other. And then they all file one by one out and walk behind the minister up front, and one of the girls taps him on the uh, the elbow. And he turns around and sees these five young people standing there. And this look of surprise and elation comes over his face when he sees those young people standing there. And it's hard to me to describe this moment, but everything just kind of fell away. And I had this feeling of, like, clarity and focus right there in that moment. And there was only just me and that pastor up front with those people. And I realized, this is what God wants me to do. In fact, I'd never heard God's voice before in my life, but in that moment I did. And it wasn't in my head and it wasn't in my ears. It was somewhere deep down in my being. And I heard this voice say, this is what I want you to do. And I realized my passion is God's people. That's what I'm passionate about. And I realized God wants me to be a pastor. He wants me to be a shepherd for his church. So, now I know what my life's passion is. My life has taken on a whole new meaning to me. And me going over to Fuller is just, it's kind of what I realize is what I've been created to do. And this is the first time I've really shared it with a group of people. And I want to thank you for allowing me to do that with you. So. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Thank you, Liam, very much. Uh, find your passion. I'm reminded as Liam was speaking of the promise in Scripture where God says, if you will search for me, if you will seek me, if you'll diligently look for me, you will find me as you seek for me with all your heart. Jesus himself said, knock and the door will be opened, seek and you'll find, ask and it shall be given. So I encourage you, find your passion, find your passion. Now, number two, when you find your passion, you better follow your passion. There are people that are passionate, but uh, 
they never really get, any, get around to living out their passion. You know, they, they will tell you they have a passion, but they're really not following that passion. Jesus said, and you just heard a, a modern-day story, not that old, of this same event. And Jesus has been doing this for 2,000 years now. But in, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said this to, to some men. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What did, what did they do? Read it with me. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Now, that's a remarkable story, and for some folks, they get up at once and follow Jesus. For some folks, they find their passion slowly. You heard even Liam share a little bit of trial and error there. But having found it, follow. I was uh, thinking back about this story about my passion. I've kind of kicked around, and it took me a long time to realize what I was going to do in life. I didn't just wake up one morning, nor was I just in a service as Liam, and decide, oh, I think God wants me to be a pastor. Not that at all. In fact, I was thinking back to uh, my early days of marriage when Joyce and I were in our 20s. Our first son was born, then our second son was born. I was working in commercial construction. I loved it. I was a plumber. And I couldn't wait to continue to grow up and make lots of money and maybe have my own company and that kind of thing. That was, uh, I enjoyed it very much. I think it was my passion at that time, building buildings. And I loved to be able to drive around Kansas City, Missouri and say, hey, you know, we put the plumbing or the heating in that jail or that church or that school building, etc. And there was a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment in that. And as our kids started to come, we came back to church, as so many couples are prone to do, and started attending church. And what really switched for me was one night in this little Baptist church, when the pastor was gone, this missionary came to preach. Now, I was in my 20s. I don't know how old this guy was. He probably wasn't as old as I am now. But I thought, man, he is old as dirt. And as he preached, his story was he had spent all these years, I believe it was in the Philippines, and he had caught some sort of lung disease. And so his doctors said when he came back to the States, you can't go back to the Philippines because of the climate. So what he was telling us was he was going to some other country, I think it was Australia or something, and, and I can remember thinking, why don't you just sit down? I mean, you've served God. Enough is enough. You know, why are you going to go off some other place? And I was just amazed at this guy's passion to tell others about Jesus and plant churches. Now, at the end of his sermon, he said, I, I want to ask you if you'd be willing to pray and say to God, would, God, would you let me be a missionary? Now, he said, God's going to say no to most of you, maybe all of you. He was very upfront. It wasn't a manipulation thing. He just said, would you pray and ask God if God would allow you to be a, a missionary? And I can remember raising my hand and saying, sure, I can pray that. I'll pray anything, you know. I'll take a dare. So I began to pray that. And it began to bother me because I couldn't hear God saying no. And so that began my wrestling match. And I would talk to Pastor Cooper, and he would pray with me, and I would think it over. Well, long story much shorter, you now see what I'm doing. But there was a lot of trial and error in that, but I, I felt God not saying no. I thought, well, you know, Brother Cooper said, you better go to college. So I said, okay, where should I go? And he pointed me off to a college. And the, the rest began to fall together. It didn't happen over a year or a month, a year, or even five or ten years. It took a long time to actually figure out, even going to college and seminary, my last year's seminary, I never thought I'd be a pastor. Why would you want to be a pastor? Ugh. I just couldn't imagine such. And here I am. And so I want to encourage you to follow your passion. Now you say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, Pastor Eddie's going to stand, going to help you out today. And he was standing up here a moment ago. 
we have class 301. It's asked, what is the shape of my ministry? And you're going to learn this word shape has a lot of significance. God has shaped you so you can do some things and you can't do some things. What is your shape? This class will help you figure out some of your passion and what God would have you to do. It's a step forward in that direction. Let's uh, look at Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And as Liam testified a moment ago, as I've said in my own story, as these gentlemen, when Jesus said, come and I'll make you fishers of men, they had to take a step of faith and said, I'm going to go. I don't know where I'm going, but yes, God, I will go. And so faith is always critically important here. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, I've got a Peanuts cartoon I want to put up here, and uh, you may relate to Lucy and Snoopy here. Here's the little dog. You can see Lucy saying, you've been a dog all your life, haven't you? Lucy says, I've often wondered what made you to decide to become a dog. And the dog says, I was fooled by the job description. (laughs) Maybe you feel that in your own job. You know, if I had only known, I wouldn't have gotten into this. Let me ask you a question. As we begin to find our passion and live out our passion to follow our passion, there are some passion killers. In other words, there are people who say, I am passionate about this, but it's actually not happening in my life. And there are a variety of things that are passion killers. And in just a moment, I want to ask you to tell me what some of the passion killers in life are. They may be true for you. You may have observed them in others, but I'm going to ask for some feedback. But first, let me read from Hebrews chapter 12. This will give you an idea of what we're looking for. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, there are a lot of people that have gone before us in this life of faith. And they encourage us. They had passion. You can think about them. Deborah and Ruth and Moses and David and many people in the Old Testament were passionate and in the New. He said, We're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders what stops your passion. And the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Now, what are some passion killers? Some things that interrupt our ability to live out. Yes, sir. Oh, the extreme critic in us that says we're too old, you can't do it, not enough education, whatever. Great. Thank you. Fear of the unknown, that's right. Passion killers. Listen to those who don't understand. Jill? Trying to do too much. What? Laziness? Discouragement? The Proverbs talk over and over about not being able to get out of bed. Mm Mm-hmm. I had several that I think were missing here. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're not passion killers. What else? What do you spend a lot of time doing sometimes? And therefore, you flunked your class. Well, procrastinating. Is the TV a passion killer? I think the TV sucks the life out of a lot of people. The Internet does, too. It's not a bad idea. If you watch a lot of TV, you really ought to, at the first of the year, you really ought to journal how much time you watch TV. You ought to figure that out. It's an astonishingly high number for some folks. Or on the Internet, if you're a computer user, you ought to periodically check, how much time am I online? Now, 
I'm not talking about being online with pornography or something like that. You know that's wrong. I'm just talking about how much time you're online. That may disable you from living out your passion. What are some other ones? Baptist crowd, there are no sins here, are there? I guess I'll move on. Disappointment. There are lots of things that can be passion killers, things that cause you to waste time or to get you off track. People who live out their passion have a focus. And so if we're going to follow our passion, we have to focus in. Anything that blocks your passion is going to be a problem. When we conclude our service today, I really want to have a season of prayer. So we're going to have time for you to come forward and pray with our prayer partners. And maybe your prayer is, Lord, I don't know what my passion is. Please help me. I'm going to search and seek this year and find it. Or maybe you say, I know what my passion is, but I'm just not following that passion. And I want you to come forward and pray and lift that up to God and ask for God's help. Um, Now the third one. We find our passion, we follow our passion, and we need to fuel our passion. That is to feed it. There are, there's not, there's no such thing as, you know, finding your passion and you live at this high passionate level and it never drops off. Our lives are like roller coasters. They're up and down, up and down, and our passion may go way up, it may go way down. We have to keep our passion alive. My son Roger is passionate about cycling. That's his world. He owns a bike shop. Pray he stays in business and doesn't come live with his father. Uh, but he's passionate about cycling. Now, you may think, well, if I'm not called to be a pastor, that really wouldn't be as, you know, if I'm called to do something secular, that's not as important as being a pastor. Let me get rid of that notion. That's not true. What's important is for you to do what God wants you to do. If God had said, Steve, be a Christian plumber, that's just as important, I think, as being a Christian pastor. And Roger uses his bike shop as ministry. People have been saved through the bike shop uh, this past Thanksgiving, he fed hundreds of people in Santa Clarita through the bike shop. It's a rallying point. There's a Bible study there every Wednesday. That's his passion, and he's combined it with his ministry. Now, I was a little bit sad that last Wednesday, I didn't realize what was going on. He does a a Wednesday night mountain bike ride every Wednesday, and the uh, guys and gals gather. And last uh, week, his 10-year-old son was not in school, so he decided to take Eli along. And so they went on an easier route that Eli could ride for an hour, an hour and a half. And I wished I had been there to ride with my grandson. But what's the point? The point is that as you have passion, you share that with others. You, you hand it out. You let people know what you're passionate about, and you invite them to come on. Maybe it's for fun. Maybe it's part of their passion as well. You coach them as well. Um, here's my last uh, cartoon, another one uh, from, um, from uh, Peanuts. Here's something to think about, says Charlie Brown. Life is like a 10-speed bicycle. Most of us have gears that we never use. He's wrong. That isn't something to think about. <laughs> now, maybe you're sitting there thinking about passion. You know, I don't care about passion. That's nothing to think about. But I want to encourage you to fuel your passion. Now, let me say what I'm not talking about as we conclude this morning. I'm not talking about willpower. You know, ramp it up, screw it up, the new year, make a resolution and do it. It's not willpower but real power that you need to think about. I want to give you a verse, and you can take this home with you. It's printed out in your outline. And this is a verse, Paul praying for the church in Ephesus that God, God's power is lived out through them. And as you think about your passion, if it's a God-given passion, you're going to need God to help you accomplish that goal or live out that mission. And it's only by God's grace. Here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians 3.20. 
Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able, God is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask for or to even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, and hope. The key there is God is able to help you live out this passion that he's given you. That's the emphasis. Here's another verse that I want to give you. Again, it's not my power. It's not that I ramp up my own willpower, but it's God's power. Uh, Paul was talking about a problem in his own life. And you may be here this morning, maybe you were laid off from a job and you're looking for work. Or maybe health problems have slowed you down. Or perhaps the finances aren't coming together. Perhaps there's some struggle in your life and you just think, ah, if, I, if things were together, then I could live out for God. Then I could have a passion. No, 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 no. Notice what Paul says. God didn't answer Paul's prayer here as Paul wanted it answered. And Paul realized, you know what? God's strength is perfect, perfected in my weakness. Listen to First Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians. God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so Christ's power can rest on me. And I want to encourage you as we talk about passion today, where does the power to live out our passion come from? It comes from the Lord. And we rely on the Lord to give us that strength and courage and power so that we can be passionate people for Him. So I want to encourage you today to live passionately. If you only had one month to live, how would you live it? I think you would live it with a sense of urgency and passion. You would become clear about what you did and what you did not do. And there would be some things you'd stop wasting your time on. There would be some things that you add to your life. Now, in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of commitment, and I hope that you will sing this as your prayer. But I'm going to ask our prayer counselors to come forward as we stand, and I'm going to ask you to also come forward to uh, lift up to God a request that you be a passionate person. And so don't be hesitant or worry about other people, what they might think. Let's stand together even now. And go ahead and come forward and meet with one of our prayer partners. And perhaps you want to say, I don't know my passion, but I want to pray God gives it to me. Or maybe you know it, but something's hindering you from living out your passion. This is a chance for you to come. So would you stand with me? Let's sing. Let me encourage you to come forward and begin this new year passionately living for God.